Alright, I am in the middle of waiting for my taquitos to cook. So while I wait, I'm going to do some stuff around the house. Sorry if you hear the water running. Give me one second. I'm going to pour myself a glass of water, um, pour out some salsa, and I'm going to read at least part of the next chapter of the auction, just so I've got something to do while I'm waiting for my taquitos, and now I can get a new episode out for you. Alright, let's see, get some ice water. I This is going to be part ramble for the beginning here, while I do some other stuff before I read the auction. But, um, yeah, I put ice in my water. I put a lot of ice in my water. I am an ice chewer kind of person, unfortunately. Everyone's gonna say it's bad for me. I don't care. There's so few things in this world that I actually enjoy anymore. I feel like the universe can let me have this one thing. And I've also done it my whole life and I'm not dead yet, so I don't think it matters all that much. That is the sound of the ice cracking. Sorry if you can hear that, which you likely can. What else? Oh, my salsa. Let's see. That was the sound of the fridge. Very sorry. I feel like I'm just making a bunch of noise that everyone can hear, but that's fine. It's not like this is supposed to be like some award-winning podcast. If this eventually wins awards, that would be so hilarious, but I doubt that's what's happening here. Salsa on to the auction. Let's see. Edinburgh Castle loomed over them as they approached on the cobblestones, devoid of the usual tourist or families, devoid of the muggle military guards at the gates. Instead, they passed cloaked death eaters and seedy dark object dealers begging for Draco Malfoy's gold like paupers. How far had Voldemort spread his reach? Surely the muggle governments were now aware of him if a popular tourist site had been seized. What did the muggle papers say? She shoved her questions aside, focused on the familiar silhouette in the distance. A wind howled across the stone path, and Hermione shivered in her negligee, her ankles twisting in the heels. She looked up at the castle now, and a different howl grated with the wind. Werewolves. Their lethal bodies prowled through the turrets over the arched entryway. A jolt of terror shot down her spine. The last time she'd been this close to a werewolf had been in the Great Hall, watching in horror as it hunched over Lavender's body. Draco grabbed her arm and strode forward. She focused on the pressure of his fingers as they drew closer, her heart pounding in her ears as if trying to drown out the sounds of their sniffing and panting. Once they reached the end of the path, he placed his fingers directly over the tattoo and gave her a yank forward over the threshold. Goosebumps prickled on her flesh, a magical barrier. Am I locked in now? she asked, rubbing the skin where he'd, grippled, where he'd gripped her. He paused, turning to look at her with a cruel expression, a flash of warning in his eyes. He couldn't answer her, not here. He jerked his head and continued towards the gate. She followed, her eyes shifting in every direction, trying to take in the eyes and ears that could be on them. A pair of Death Eaters stood inside the gates, more lounging and laughing than guarding. All right there, Malfoy, one of them called. Evening, Relkin. I take it your leg's still healing if you can't be bothered to stand up and greet us. A grumble and a distant reply as they continued up the path to the second archway, a tighter entrance with tall walls of stone on one side and a steep grassy hill on the other. The moon shone bright and over them as they pushed forward. Two more Death Eaters at the second entrance, standing a little straighter than the first two. They nodded to Draco as he walked through. He ignored them, and Hermione followed, eyes fixed on the cobblestones. 
a, lo a low whistle once she passed. She glanced up to find an older man she didn't recognize leering at her from a set of steep stone stairs leading up the hill. You bring her to play, Malfoy? She's playing with me tonight. Draco stared her, steered her towards the steps and they started to climb. I don't share, Morrison, he said with a wink and a handshake as they passed. Morrison chuckled, looking her over before Draco nudged her to continue ahead of him. As they ascended, her cheeks burned at the sudden realization that he had a full view of her legs and backside. She shoved her embarrassment aside, allowing her mind to wander. She had questions. Questions about the guards, the number of Death Eaters moving in and out, the rankings. After mentally reciting a list to ask once they were home again, Hermione finally reached the top of the stairs, turning once to look out over Edinburgh skyline. It was a clear night, and they were hundreds of feet above sea level dark windows and empty streets as far as the eye could see. Had Edinburgh been, been massacred, massacred or evacuated? A faint sensation of fingers on her lower back and she shivered as Draco brushed past her. After a moment, she followed, struggling to keep up with his long strides. She could hear the growing noise of a party as they walked closer to the gray structures jetting, jutting into the night sky. He finally turned a corner and led her into a large courtyard where about 50 men were socializing. She swallowed, trying to conceal her shock as she considered the numbers. It had to be a gathering of Voldemort's elite, but she'd never known him to have such a large inner circle. Were all of these men truly Death Eaters, or were they simply revelers delving into their darker impulses now that the Order was gone? She opened her mouth to ask and realized again that she couldn't. They moved towards the tall building to the left, away from the crowd outside, but his feet turned abruptly as if he just remembered something. She stumbled to keep up with him as he took her elbow and dragged her to the solitary lamp still flickering in this part of the courtyard. Once he was illuminated with ambers and golds, she watched him, she watched him breathe deep and stare at her with cold, dead eyes. I'm showing you how to behave, he murmured. His eyes dipped towards his chest. Nod your head. Her heart thundered and she refrained from looking over to the crowd they were playing for. She nodded at his shoes. How am I to behave? One hand reached up and she held her breath when he tucked a curl behind her ear, tilting her face up with his hand on her jaw. A different mask had clicked into place. His eyes flickered with heat as he breathed over her, dancing along her clavicles and neck, obedient but not broken. She blinked quickly at him, feeling the warmth of his fingers behind her ear, watching his eyes storm and the Malfoy smirk slowly return over his features. Oi, Malfoy! The call from across the courtyard startled her. She tried to turn around, but Draco's hand on her face held her firmly in place. He lifted his head and called out, Evening, Bull, before dropping his hand to her elbow and dragging her to the buildings they were headed for. She heard a faint smattering of, Is that her? And finally, behind her shoulder as, he paced, as his pace quickened. The gap in the buildings led to another large, dimly lit courtyard. Four, four blocky buildings bouldered the area, a clock tower climbing high from the one to their left. It was eerily quiet in the summer air, but she still felt like hundreds of eyes were on her. His hand rose to her lower back as she pushed them onwards, and she jumped at the contact before settling into the warmth of his hand. He steered them towards one of the blocky buildings, about three stories tall and as long as the entire courtyard. She wondered what kind of sordid debauchery awaited her inside these walls. How many of her friends would she find in chains, beaten and broken? How many familiar faces would she find abusing and raping the innocent? The courtyard answered her in silence. They reached the entrance, the wooden doors heavy and foreboding, a pause, and then Draco pushed open the door for her. Music, lifting above the stone floors and into the wooden arches overhead, a soft jazzy tune she remembered from her muggle life, a bustling of laughter and clinking glasses. She tried to peer around the edge of the entryway to see more, but a girl appeared, blocking her view. 
She held a tray of champagne glasses and wore a short slip that shimmered like the bubbles in the flutes. She wore a silver collar around her thin neck. The girl looked up at them, eyes landing on Hermione with a flicker before turning a coquettish smile on Draco. Good evening, Master Malfoy. Charlotte, he greeted, lifting two champagne glasses off the tray. He silently offered Hermione one and she stared down at it until he pushed it into her chest. She clutched the crystal between her fingers as Charlotte stepped aside for them and Draco guided her into the room. It was a hall, maybe half the size of Hogwarts's Great Hall. People mingled and glasses sparkled and conversation bubbled up to the arched ceiling. Her eyes struggled to capture everything. Chandeliers hung over the room, burning low and casting shadows over the suits of armor and coats of arms lining the walls. Her eyes flew to a looming fireplace across the room, its pale stone reaching high towards the vaulted beams, perhaps an escape route if she could find flu powder, assuming it wasn't charmed against her tattoo. The men standing about sipping champagne or swirling tumblers of scotch weren't in Death Eater robes, but still had a stiff uniformity about them, as if they could be called away at any moment. She scanned, recognizing Jugson, Crab Sr., Runcorn from the Ministry, and Rabastin and Rodolphus Lestrange. And just after she caught sight of Mulciver, she found Cho Chang looking at her from where she dripped off his arm like wax. Hermione's breath caught, and she heard sound in a vacuum as Cho turned away, sipping her champagne as if they didn't know each other. Cho smiled sweetly at something Mulciber said, leaning in and looking up at him through her lashes, her long hair swaying down her back. She didn't flinch as his hand slipped down to rub her backside. A chill pressed over her. Dolohov, she whispered. A quick shake of Draco's head, and Hermione felt the knot in her stomach unwind. Her eyes flitted through the rest of the room, desperate to discover more of them. Sally Fawcett in a corner with a much older man, her neck tilted to the side as he brushed his lips over her skin. Hannah Abbott in a slip even shorter than the others, her limbs skinny and pale, holding a full glass of champagne with haunted eyes. Alicia Spinnett with her arms slung around the shoulders of an unfamiliar man, swaying to the music with a listless smile on her face. Some stood tall and proud as their captor's sides, at their captor's sides like a treasured concubine, whereas others shrunk into themselves, like used and beaten toys their owners would one day tire of. Draco sipped his champagne as they moved forward, his arm slithering around her back, his hand landing on her opposite hip. She leaned into the embrace for the benefit of any watchful eyes, a shiver passing over her skin. Malfoy, Blaise Sabini, swaggered towards them with Theo not on his heels. Blaze smirked and slid his eyes over her, finally letting her out of her cage, I see. Of course, Draco's voice lilted. He threw back the rest of his champagne. She's been ill. Disgusting to look at, really. Blaze's lips twitched, but he said nothing. Theo snorted and sipped his champagne. Hermione looked past them, trying to catch a glimpse of Cho again, then froze, aware of a drop in the room's volume. They had caught the attention of half the hall. Eyes turned towards her. Lots and Death Eaters alike. They murmured in low voices to each other, whispering and nodding toward them, and she felt her cheeks burn as unfamiliar gazes traced her knees, her chest, Draco's hand on her hip. A light squeeze, and she looked up, refocusing on what Zabini and Theo were saying, as if nothing was out of the ordinary. "'We're already set up in the suite,' Theo said, a casual insolence in his tone. "'You're almost late.' "'But I'm not, am I?' Draco snapped with a quick smile. Hermione felt her skin prickle at the mention of a suite. "'Collect your girls. I'll meet you there.' For someone so concerned with timeliness, do fuck off, Theo, Draco cooed. His, he grinned at Zabini as Theo glared and steered Hermione between them, making sure to knock Theo's shoulder on the way. Hermione felt her legs turn to jelly as they swept through the crowd of people staring at them. Sweet, she whispered. He waited until they passed a pair of older men, sipping scotch before answering, do not speak to me in this room. She flinched when he said it like a slap against her skin, but her logic whispered that she should hear something else. You may speak in a different room, perhaps the suite.
Her control slipped, mind running wild, with thoughts of a hotel suite with luxurious beds where she and other girls would be forced to do unspeakable things. She blinked, zeroing in on her new focus, Cho. The dark-haired girl didn't look in her direction as they approached. Draco took the lead, nodding at unfamiliar faces while Hermione's eyes kept darting back to Cho as covertly as possible. Her chest stung with the desire to call to her, to rip out of Draco's hold and run to embrace her. Instead, she dug her nails into her palms, forcing a look of neutral disinterest at everything she saw. Perhaps Cho felt the same. Maybe that's why she simply tilted her face away from Mulciper as they passed, a deep swallow of her champagne and a flicker of her fingers against the glass. Draco led her towards the other side of the room, near the fireplace, and she scanned briefly for a vase of flu powder before focusing in on who they were headed towards. Avery. Hermione felt her heart in her throat. This man owned Jenny. She was probably stashed away at his estate at this very moment. Aaron, Draco greeted. Avery turned from where he was laughing with the dark-haired woman. He held the cigar between his teeth, and Hermione coughed lightly as they passed through a cloud. My father sends his regards that he missed your celebration last weekend. Draco. Avery took Draco's offered hand in a firm shake, his gaze quickly skimming over Hermione. Of course, not a problem. I know he's off. Where is it again? He leaned closer, eyes twinkling as he inhaled a deep puff of smoke. Hermione felt the hand on her back stiffen. Unfortunately, I couldn't say. The mission was between my father and the Dark Lord. Avery nodded, his smirk fading a bit around his cigar. He gestured to the woman to his right, and Hermione noticed she was not wearing a collar. Her dress was long and elegant, sweeping to the floor, her hair twisted in a low chignon, unlike all the, other, all, unlike all the collared girls. Madame Minister, may I present Draco Malfoy? Hermione eyed her carefully as Draco kissed her knuckles with a bow. This woman was the Greek minister for magic, Eleni Carrillo? Wow. Cirillo? I don't know. I'm going to say Cirillo. Eleni? Cirillo. Sure. Her chest tightened in anticipation. Minister Cirillo was a pureblood with the prominence of her family lineage dating back for centuries in Greece and Italy. Her policies and offhand comments had always carried a tinge of blood supremacy, something she'd vehemently denied to the press in the years before Voldemort's rise. Malfoy, she asked, arching one perfect brow. Lucius's son? Yes, Madam Minister, please accept my apologies on his behalf that he couldn't escort you himself. Avery stared at Draco, eyes narrowing as he took a deep sip of his glass. Please send my regards to your father. It's been ages. Draco politely inclined his head while the minister turned her, her eyes on Hermione. With a sultry dip of her gaze to her chest, the minister said, And who do we have here? Hermione Granger, Draco said, and she could hear the smirk in his voice. My lot. Indeed, Minister Cirillo's eyes glittered. The golden girl I've heard so much about. She stepped forward and reached a delicate hand to twirl one of Hermione's curls behind her fingertips. Well, isn't she stunning? The dr she dropped her curl, brushing the backs of her fingers against Hermione's breast. Hermione gasped. Young Malfoy has been rather ungenerous with her, Avery said, his smirk returning as she sucked on his as he sucked on his cigar. This is the Mudblood's first visit to Edinburgh. She felt Draco's fingers tighten against her hips. The Greek minister tisked. That won't do, Malfoy. Who would deprive such a pretty plaything from our festivities? She gestured widely at the chandeliers and the champagne and the laughter and lazy smiles. I would love to escort her this evening, if you'll allow it. An excellent idea, Avery leered. What do you say, Draco? Hermione's eyes snapped to Minister Cirillo, certain she'd be no safer on the minister's arms than on any other Death Eaters. My apologies, Minister, but I'm under strict orders not to let her leave my side, Draco quickly replied. Not after what happened to Avery's lot last month. 
Avery's eyes turned icy as Hermione's heart thumped wildly. Ginny didn't play nicely with others. Something had happened. Minister Cirillo gave a trilling laugh. Ah, yes, I heard I missed quite the drama. I confess I'm disappointed I missed the chance to meet the Dark Lord's favored pet. Perhaps in the future, Aaron. Perhaps, Avery gritted out. The minister turned to Draco. Very well, then, but I do hope you reconsider at some point, Draco. The girl deserves a bit of fun as well. She paused, and Hermione could feel her appraising eyes on her figure, even as she stared at the floor. Mulciber lent me his girl last week, and I assure you that she had a splendid, a splendid time. Another beauty, is she not? Hermione's breath caught, and she glanced up, scanning the room for Cho again. She found her running her fingers through the long locks of another girl, pressing her hips into her side as Mulciber eyed them leecherously. Hermione swallowed, quickly looking away. Her attention came back to Minister Cirillo as she stepped closer to Draco to whisper against his cheek, her clear blue eyes straying down Hermione's chest again. No need to keep the girl so tightly wound. Hermione blinked and stared at the ground again, processing. Was she doing so poorly already? Her chest flushed, suddenly angry at Draco for not giving her the proper information to play this game. A fair point, Madam Minister, said Draco, and she knew a wink had accompanied the lazy draw. She'll be around more often then? Avery asked. When she's a good girl, she'll get to come out and play, Draco said smoothly. His hand slithered across her back, dragging along the silk until his warm palm ran up her ribs. Her breath caught as his fingers slid up under her jaw, and she turned her eyes to him when he tilted her head back, just as he had outside under the lamp. She's not always good, though, he said with a smile. She heard chuckling, a shiver around the room. More eyes were on them. Draco's eyes dipped to her mouth, and his thumb dragged across her bottom lip, opening her lips. A heartbeat when she thought he'd kiss her. When I'm back next month, I hope to see her again, Minister Cirillo said. Draco's hand dropped away. He excused them, shook Minister Cirillo's hand again, and guided Hermione back to the front of the room. They passed a young girl, no more than 15, standing in the corner with Jugson while he socialized. The girl's olive skin was drained and pale, and her eyes were shining with tears until when she looked at them. Hermione felt a fire burn in her belly as Draco pushed her along, fingers itching to hex off the greedy hand that stroked the girl's waist. Apprehension swallowed her anger when they turned the corner, meeting a dark corridor. Draco took her elbow and guided them through a carved door opening the clock tower building. Several people in corners speaking lowly to each other paid them no mind, and he turned toward a winding stone staircase, not releasing her elbow, as if she would fly away with the breeze if he did. A boy she recognized from the year below them stood at the top of the stairs. Harper, she thought his name was. He stood tall once Draco's head bobbed up the stairs. He greeted Draco and reached for the door. Harper, Draco chastised in the same tone he used for Crab and Goyle when they were being terribly dense. Harper jumped as if his hand had been burned by the doorknob. Right, sorry, I just recognized you. That doesn't matter, Draco sneered. He extended his left hand and Harper's wand tapped the emerald ring he wore on his thumb, a glass ring of sorts. A class ring of sorts, something she'd only seen on the Slytherin boys, the ring that had cut her lip the night Draco slapped her. The end of Harper's wand turned green. With a nod to Draco, Harper turned to her next, and his eyes slid to her gold collar. He pressed the tip of his wand to the metal and eyed the warm golden light now emanating from it. Another nod before he turned the doorknob for them. Uproarious laughter met her ears. Thick, deep voices, some familiar from her childhood, ricocheted through a small room decorated in lavish patterned wallpaper and dark woods. When the door opened, nine heads turned to them from the long table, their conversations trailing off. She blinked, struggling to register every person in the room. The boy at the end of the table stood, his chair knocking back, and smiled at her with greedy black eyes. Marcus Flint. Miss Granger, he crewed, were delighted. 
and disturbing shadow of sh- civ- chivalry, every person at the table came to their feet, all eyes still locked on her. She recognized Zabini, Knott, and Goyle. Adrian Pusey stand to Flint's right and Montague on his left. Three boys in the center on the table of the table she struggled to place. And lining the walls were nine girls in collars. One of them looked up to meet her eyes before blanching and dropping her head down. Susan Bones. The rest of them kept their eyes down. Penelope Clearwater stood behind Marcus Flint's chair. Mortensen from the ministry holding cell stood behind Pusey, and she thought she recognized one or two of her classmates, but the rest were unfamiliar to her. "'Sorry to keep you waiting, gentlemen,' Draco said, stepping forward to shake Flint's hand. "'The Greek minister took an interest in my lot.' Hermione waited in the doorway, pausing for instruction as Draco greeted his friends. A girl with strawberry blonde hair looked up at her from across the room, and the calculated interest in her eyes made Hermione look away, ashamed. She could only imagine what they must think of her, the privileged lot. She turned her gaze back to the table and found several bottles of wine decanting, some already half-drunk. A pig roast lay in the center of the table, an apple in its mouth, looking like he had been caught on the wrong side of all this as well. Gregory Goyle hadn't taken his eyes off her legs since the moment she walked in, so she felt the pit in her stomach loosen when Draco guided her to the other side of the table to stand behind the only empty chair, the head across from Flint. Draco took a seat, the conversation easy and boisterous again. The moment he sat, the nine girls around the table stepped forward, reaching for the wine bottles. She watched as they poured the russet wine into the glass as the boy in front of them of the boy in front of them. Several eyes turned on her as she stared at them, doing nothing. Were they expected to play their parts as menial servants as the boys had their fun, even though all ten of them had full use of their wands? Come on, Granger, Draco taunted. Do keep up. Stepping forward on trembling legs, she reached around Draco's shoulder for the decanter of wine next to his glass, filling it. The girls had stepped back, blending in with the wallpaper, and Hermione quickly followed their lead. She let out a shaky breath as she leaned into the windowsill behind her, letting the cool glass press against her shoulder blades. Draco lifted his glass. To the Dark Lord's power, may he reign forevermore. The boys chorused this toast, and Hermione saw Penelope Clearwater's lip tremble out of the corner of her eye. The clamor of ten boys ch- chatting and drinking washed over her, and she tried catching onto snippets of conversation where she could. Cass, what did your father say about... Hear about the incident at the Bastille? What did I tell you? It was two lace flies, not three. Think they'll still play this year? I missed the last World Cup. Hermione reeled, her dizzy mind na- trying to narrow down what she could be focused on, what she should be focused on. Which of the conversations? She couldn't follow all of them at once, or was it what existed in the silence, in the glances and bullying? She glanced at the other lots for cues, but they were staring fixedly at their heels, except for the strawberry blonde girl who seemed more attentive than the rest. What was she staring at? And through it all, Marcus Flint kept grinning at her. Malfoy, Flint called across the table, and the room dipped into silence. Dragonpox? He gestured to her with his soup spoon. Not dragonpox after all, but she was disgusting. Pox and pus. Draco made a face, and when he turned over his shoulder, he glared at her. You tired? Can't stand straight? Every eye turned on her, and she realized that every girl was standing tall, waiting to be called upon. She pushed up from the windowsill. No, sir. A chorus of chuckling trembled the room, and she remembered what he'd said. Obedient, but not you, but not broken. I'm just not used to wearing heels, sir. The room held its breath, and then Draco's eyes flashed to her while the table erupted with laughter. Have quite a handful with her, don't you? Pour her a glass of wine. You gonna tell the headmaster on us, Granger? Tell you what, Granger, Blaise Sabini said with a smirk. You can have a break from your footwear if Draco allows you to sit on my lap for the rest of the night. 
The boys, the boys howled, and Blaze winked at her. Draco cleared his throat, scowling. She will do no such thing. The laughter petered out, though the corners of Blaze's mouth twitched behind his glass. Merlin's sack, Malfoy, Theo not muttered. Why bring her? He leered at her and chuckled. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I was so looking forward to Granger being head girl last year. His innuendo landed on her skin like ice water. We should give her a chance to earn her title. Montague snorted into his wine, and Flint's fingers danced along the rim of his glass. A shame indeed, Theo, Draco said smoothly, seeing as I've heard rumors that you were a shoo-in for head boy. You could have shared the head duties quite nicely. Blaze spit up his wine, laughing into his sleeve. Flint and Pusey giggled drunkenly. Theo glared at Draco. What the fuck is that supposed to? Draco stood suddenly, cutting him off. Pusey, will you do the honors? He nodded to the pig in the middle of the table. I'm starving. Adrian Pusey stood with the smirk and produced a carving knife. Hermione listened to the boys' chat while each girl approached Pusey to take a plate to their escort. Susan Bones retrieved Goyle two servings, and he thanked her with a tweak to her nipple through her thin dress. Hermione smoothed around the table, moved around the table to Pusey's side when it was her turn. She could feel him watching her as the conversation continued, eyes raking her body. She looks pampered, Malfoy, Pusey said, twirling his knife. Hermione's heartbeat quickened as he began spinning the blade on his thumb. Do you have any fun with her at all? They laughed, and she glanced at Mort Mortensen, who stood behind Pusey's chair, peeling an orange for him, with her eyes glued to his knife as it spun. You know how much I paid for her, Adrian, Draco drawled. Of course I bathe her in milk and lavender every night. Flint laughed, but Pusey's eyes were darting across her skin. Hermione drew in a slow breath, trying to think about how she would, how she should react. It was true that she was at a healthy weight. She had limited sunlight these days. All freckles from her year on the run had vanished. Quick as lightning, a glint of metal, and then Pusey was a breath away, his knife between her skin and the strap of her slip. He tugged on it. She's a mudblood, Draco. She only needs to lay on her back. His crisp white teeth flashed at her, his breath hot on her face. Besides, I always heal them afterwards. She froze in horror as the knife cut through the strap, her heart fluttering wildly and her eyes bulging to the only exit, her dress slipping down her chest. The knife zoomed away from her skin, spinning through the air to pierce the wallpaper as Pusey jumped backwards. Her strap repaired itself and she turned to see Draco pocketing his wand, hot rage simmering through his cool facade. I'm not sure how many more times I need to say it, he whispered, and the room was barely breathing. That mudblood is mine. Her mouth is mine. Her cunt is mine. Her skin is mine. His teeth bit through the words, and he met her eyes with every person at the table before sighing, before saying, You will not touch her under any circumstances. I purchased her. I do what I please with her. All right, this is where I'm going to pause because I think I've read a good amount of, and my voice is tired because I've recorded three of these episodes. So I think that is enough for today. Okay, bye.